Good morning. Well, today we're going to jump right in. Uh, I am going to be in Acts 18. If you want to get there, we're going to be there in a few minutes. Um, I'm going to two verses out of Acts 17, but for the most part, we're going to be in Acts 18 verses 1 through 11. Uh, we're, we're week three of our opportunities and options, which is really uh, a big push for uh, us to understand that God has given us the opportunity to do something more with our life than just exist, something more than our life than make money and have things, but something that's going to impact our our community and our neighbors and people. And he's given us Lots of opportunities and lots of options to do so. Um, and selfishly, we're trying to engage uh, those that are in this room to get the idea that there are more in this city uh, that need Jesus. And we're going to do what is necessary to make that or to give them the opportunity to hear uh, the gospel. And with that, we're going to be adding another service uh, in four weeks. So we'll be going to 9 and 1045. Not yet. Please come at 10. Uh, and our website will soon have a better time placement than there on the bottom. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, we just redid our website. Check it out. Uh, if you find other things, you get a bonus. If you find things that we need to correct, um, we'll give you a prize. <laughs> So this morning, before we get into Acts 18, where I feel um, God has, uh, it was one of the verses in there is one of the things that I feel before we planted that God just laid on my heart uh, for the city. But before we get there, because any time uh, the pastor or the church begins to ask you to do something, it's very important for us to understand the why. Because if you just get, I need to do something, um, it is very easy to jump into this legalistic, God is going to love me if I do. And, and really, if you don't understand that, you'll do everything wrong. You will do the right things for the wrong reasons and not get out of it what you need. So before we start there, I have a few questions just for you. And like most of my questions that I give you on a Sunday morning, they are not intended to be answered out loud or, you know, you keep your hands down and all that other good stuff. But here, here's the first question. Do you understand, and this is important, the grace of God in redeeming you? Do you understand what God did for you, because if you don't understand what God has done for you, if not, if you've not really stepped into that and are living in that place that my redemption, my righteousness, anything good I have to offer has been given to me as a gift from Jesus. From a God who loved his children so much that he sent his son to do what you were unable to do and you are unable to do it. If you're still trying to do your best so that God will love you, you're going to fail every time. But if you submit, surrender to the God who sent his only son to do what you could not, he lived the life that you are unable. Are we all to the place? Don't raise your hand. Are we all to the place that we understand that we are unable to be the men and women that God has called us to be? Hopefully we're there. If you're not there, you'll get there. Because someday the, the, the fog that you're in that, or the illusion that you're living in that, you know, yes, I'm a great person and God loves me because I'm such a great person, you'll come to realize that you're, you're not. I'm not that great of a person without Jesus. 
without his work. And so if you understand his grace in the redemption, the life that you have access to right now, that fuels everything we're going to talk about. If you don't get that, if you if you haven't surrendered to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, ignore everything that I say today. Because without that prerequisite, without that, I'm his child, you'll hear work. Work harder. And if you don't work hard enough, God's not going to love you. And that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about an opportunity for us to be able to do what we shouldn't be able to do. To introduce people and see life change happen in them through the Holy Spirit. See, this truth is prerequisite to what we're going to talk about today. And if you don't understand it, you won't be very interested in sacrificing to make sure others have the opportunity to hear. Because God has not done this work in you. So if if you've been redeemed, if you are a child of God, God did not give you that gift so that you could go, thank you for loving me. This is mine. God gave you That gift, he gave you redemption, he gives you righteousness so that you can do the same thing for other people, that you can make yourself available. And you'll hear this truth in Matthew 28, verse 18. Jesus has proven his love. So the disciples were clueless in what he was doing, even though they were with him for three years. And I I love that. I mean, to be completely honest, I love that God showed us that he will take you know, a little bit less than bright. The lamps, he'll take a little bit less than bright because he had these disciples who were a little less than bright. They were ready to conquer the world and, and be on his right and left side as Jesus entered into his earthly kingdom, which is not what he was there for to do. And so what did he do? He went and did exactly what he intended. He died. And they were like, oh, my gosh, what do we do now? Some of them were like, hey, let's go fishing. Sure, sure. Let's, let's, let's go back to what we did before. Our Savior, Jesus, has now died. And then three days later, he rose from the dead and he proved to them, which I think is crazy because he told them over and over again, I'm going to be back. No one. See, we all think we would be there outside the tomb going, Jesus coming back. Jesus, come. you know, he's coming. Get ready, people. None of them were there. The only ones that came back that morning were the women to prepare his body for, for, for being in the tomb for the rest of eternity. And he wasn't there. And so he, he shows himself, he proves to his disciples that were less than bright. Look, touch, feel, see that I am the one. Because I told you that I'm coming back. And then right before he leaves, he tells them this. Let me just tell you, I think a lot of us in this room will read this and go, yes. Because it's the the great commandment. This is what we should do. And we'll go, yes. But a lot of us in this same room will go, yes, other people. But listen to this. Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came to them right before he leaves. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Not me. Jesus. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He said, go. And he did not just say that to the professionals, the one that gets paid, the one that's up front with a microphone. He told that to every single one of his children that he has rescued 
and redeemed. Go, therefore, and make disciples. And I know that's terrifying. I, I, don't, I don't stand up here going, man, discipleship is the easiest thing that you ever do. It is the most complicated, difficult, time-intensive thing you will ever do. But it is the thing that will bring you the most value ever. I'm just telling you. And I said this two weeks ago, talking about some of my students. I honestly don't feel sometimes that I've made the impact that I've made. And so where I was last Sunday, I flew out to Colorado Springs. And one of my students, who's now 30, because I'm super old, whew, um, he planted a church in Colorado Springs. And last Sunday, they had their highest attendance ever. And this is not about number. The reason why we're going to two services isn't because people, you know, we need more people. But we're going to two services because people matter. Right? And so I went out there. Had never. We went out praying two years ago about a location, which he did not have one right before he launched. They're in Pikes Peak um, community college, they had their highest attendance outside of Easter. They had 753 people. And 12 individuals said yes to Jesus last Sunday. Last Sunday. And, and he attributes most of who he is to me, which I'm like... <laughs> At one point during the week that we hung out with him, I was like, the student has become the master. And he's like, no, no. He said, half the time I meet with people, I'm like, what would he say? And I, I mean, I love being around him because, look, what matters to me is not what he's done. But I have spent and invested a lot of time in this young man. And in that investment, like part of his success is me. And it's not like, oh, you know, in my little ledger in heaven, God's going, yes, yes. But my investment into this one person, and this is, what, this is why discipleship matters. Because you may only successfully disciple one person in your life. You may be. You might do hundreds. But if that one person influences another person who influences another person decade by decade, imagine your influence. Instead of thinking like, oh, I've got, to, I've got to get a small group and I've got to have ten people that I'm going to pour my life into. What if you just poured your life into one person? My investment in Joe, I mean, I could not. I mean, I like two, I don't want, not, don't want to get emotional in here, but like I could not be any more proud of one of my kids doing what God has made him to do. And I mean, I'm telling you, looking at his teams and seeing him lead his staff and, and just being the man that he is today, I'm like, yes, this is why we are here. So here's a tension that we're going to deal with because we're going to talk about um, a, a word that God gave Paul, an encouragement that I believe that God gives us. So what is your excuse? What is your reason right now? If you are a child of God, if you have surrendered to Jesus, if you are in living in his righteousness of what he's given you, what is your excuse right now that you're not investing in others? Because there's people that we read about all the time in the Bible that have a whole lot better reasons for not than you do. Plain and simple. I mean, they were, they were getting Paul. We're going to talk about this didn't happen here, but 
four chapters before this, he was stoned to death. Like literally, they thought they did the job, carried him out of town, and deposited him. And his disciples came and prayed over him. He got back up and he went into town and began preaching. So none of us, don't raise your hands, have been stoned lately. None of us have been dragging, dragged out of work because you mentioned the name of Jesus for dead and left there outside the thing. You've not been carted out of your neighborhood because you proclaim the name of Jesus. This isn't happening for us. So what is your excuse? And almost always our excuse is we don't understand the gift that God has given us. Because when we understand what he's done for us, it is easy for us to move in this. So let, we're talking through Acts. So let me give you a little history. What is Acts? Acts is the story of the apostles. It's the beginning of the church, the messy growing pains of them going into unreached people groups. It's them dealing with all of this stuff. Should we be circumcised or not circumcised? You don't know what that is? Don't Google it. Not good. Um, should, should we, and there are all these new people that weren't Jews that are now part of the church and, and, and these two groups are, are struggling with each other and we see the messiness of church and the imperfectness of these two groups trying to become one. And it's messy. And here, here's a question, and we're going to start in Acts 17 on purpose. And don't answer this question out loud, and you can nod your head a little bit maybe if you want to, because maybe people won't see that. Do you believe that God has intentionally put you here in this community, not just here in this church, but here in your house, here in your apartment, here where you live? Do you believe that God has brought you there? Because I'm about to ruin your world if you say no. You're like, oh no, this was a total accident. God was asleep, and I ended up here. Look, 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 look. Acts 17, verses 26 and 27, and it's been messy. I mean, Paul's gone into, uh, I think he's in Athens here, and he's walking around, and he sees all of this worship going on. And there's this one place, because they don't want to miss out, because they don't, if they offend one of the gods, they might get in trouble. So there's this one bust or you know image or sign that says to the unknown God and Paul comes up and preaches and say let me let me just fill in what is unknown is now known here he is and he tells the gospel and he preaches and and towards the end of this he makes this statement Acts 17 verse 26 it says and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined the allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. So that, not sorry, so is not there, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards Him and find Him, yet He is actually not far from each of us. Look, He's, he's telling, he's, he's telling Athens, like, you may think that you are born here or whatever, you're accidentally brought to this place, but he's telling him, and I believe he's telling us, that every single place that you will move, God has intentionally put you there. The, work, the job that you're at right now, God has put you there. Now, that doesn't mean God is going to keep you there, but that means right now, as long as you're there, God has put you there for a reason. If you are in a neighborhood or an apartment complex, if you live anywhere, God has put you there, that doesn't mean he's going to keep you there forever but that means right now god has put you there for a reason 
What if we understood that legitimately, that literally the house, whether you picked it out because you thought it was cute or you liked the neighborhood or the street or it was in your price range or whatever, that you feel like all of these other things brought you there. But what if you truly believe that God has deposited you there on purpose? Wouldn't it make you look at your neighborhood differently? Those annoying neighbors that you feel like God has just cursed you to put you next to. The ones that don't mow their grass. The ones that don't edge their walkway. Anybody? Oh, my neighbor. Actually, my neighbor probably thinks that about me. And I'm really good about mowing my grass. But he's better. His grass looks awesome. But think about all these people. What if you honestly believe that the house that God has put you in, he put you there on purpose, whether it be used for the kingdom to have a small group in it, or whether it be literally that God has put you there so that you can love on, serve, and show the gospel, not only in word, but in deed to those around you. What if you purposefully thought, I'm here for what, and you can, whatever reasons you've been believing you're there, what if you changed that and said, I'm here because God wants something done here through me? Here's another one, Proverbs 16.9. It's not going to be on the screen. It says, the heart of man plans his way, or her, but the Lord establishes his steps. So you're like, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. If you're a child of God, even when you think that way, God is weaving his story into your disobedience at times. It's like you can do whatever you want, but if you're my child, then in the end you're going to come to my will. You can have your plans. I don't know if you've heard that. You can make all the plans you want and God will just sit there and laugh at them. Because he's going, I'm going to establish your steps. Okay, so here we are. Acts 18, starting in verse 1. Paul has left Athens and he's entering into Corinth. Corinth is a port city. It is like if we think, oh gosh, how can we serve Jesus in this wicked, evil city? Corinth is worse. Idolatry. They worship other deities by having um, shrine prostitutes. I mean, it is, it is, you know, in the area that they're in, their pressure to conform to something contrary is higher than ours. Port City, you have people from all different areas living in one area because it's, you know, where commerce happens. And so in verse 1, it says, After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. Verse 2, it says, And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. So they're not a big part of this story, but Priscilla and Aquila are church go-getters. The church is in their house in two or three different of their homes. It says the church is meeting in their house. They are people that have jobs just like you and I who are serving the kingdom in great ways. Their names are mentioned over and over again in the New Testament. You see them here. And they may think, oh, we're doing the will of God in Rome. And one day the emperor says, I don't like the Jews. Get out. 
And so they were forced to leave. They end up in this city. Just happened to be a city that Paul was going to go to. Did that happen by accident? Absolutely not. God, through Acts 17, he knew the places. So he intentionally deposited Priscilla and Aquila there. Paul connects with them for this. In verse, uh, continue on in verse 2, it says, and he went to see them. So I don't, I don't know the connection. And there's, through the commentaries, you don't know where Priscilla and Aquila were already believers at this point. They possibly could be, but if, if not, they definitely become pretty soon. They're after Paul finds them, needs something to do, because Paul is very, um, not critical, but he's very intentional of not burdening the church with his income. So he works on the side, to make money, and then other churches will support his ministry in an area. But he very rarely moves into a new city and says, city, support me, he works. And he tells them this, not that you shouldn't do that, but he did. In verse 3 it says, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked. For they were tent makers by trade. So he literally found Priscilla and Aquila. They did what he did, and he worked with them, raising money. And on the side, he was preaching the gospel. They were regular people, just like you and I, working a job, serving the king. Verse 4, it says, And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade the Jews and the Greeks. See, making the tenth during the week and teaching on the Sabbath, he was doing his work since uh, his conversation. Uh, since his conversion, they had tried to kill Paul, which I told you a minute ago. They, this is the guy who, even though they were trying to kill him over and over again, if you read the beginning of Acts, I mean, that joker was ran out of town over and over again. And what did he do? He hide? He go into get a sabbatical? No, he literally went into the next city and began to preach the gospel. In verse 5, it says, When Silas and Timothy, he left them in Athens to go to Corinth, still doing the ministry. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, uh, Paul was occupied with the word testifying to the Jews that Christ was Jesus. So he went to the synagogues. He went to his people, fellow Jews, and he's there reasoning in the temple from their own text This, when it's talking about the Messiah, this is Jesus. Which normally is where he got in trouble. Because they didn't want that and they stoned him and do other things. Uh, Most likely, um, Timothy and Silas brought money so that he could continue. So that he wouldn't have to work. In in, um, 2 Corinthians 11.9 it says, When I was with you and was... Uh, in need, I did not burden anyone, for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So most likely he was doing the work of the ministry while working on the side so he could support that. Timothy and Silas come in, they bring money from other churches saying, hey, we want the gospel to be heard. They bring the money in and he puts his attention into preaching the gospel. And verse 6 is, and when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments. What? <laughs> Uh, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood <laughs> um, be on your own hands. I am innocent for now I will go to the Gentiles. This is what so normally at this point when the persecution came, he'd be like, OK, I'm gone. And he would go to the next city and preach the gospel. God had different intention for him. So he potentially was on his way out of the city after this. He did. He came. He shook off his garments. and He said, oh, it's. Own you now. 
because I've shared the gospel. You've rejected it. Not my problem. And in and so one another big thing that Paul loved to do, he loved to go right to the Gentiles to uh, incite a jealousy of the Jews. Because the Gentiles were getting the Holy Spirit. The Gentiles were getting the redemption of Jesus. And it would, he was hoping to do that so that it would call them into this mix. Verse 7, it says, And he left there and went to uh, a house of the, at the house of a man named Titus, Judas, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. So he gets kicked out of the synagogue. He's like, oh, look, open house right next door. He goes in there and he starts preaching the gospel. And look what happens, or has happened. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord, together with his entire household and many of those in, uh, in many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision. And so this may have been, hey, I've done it. I've established a church because this is what he typically did. He would get a church going. He would leave. He would leave some of his disciples there to kind of make sure they would set up elders and they would begin a church and he would go do it again. And, and God gave him this. And this is really why I'm preaching this word. It says, and the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid. Remember, stoned, drug out of the city, left for dead. I mean, several times he has jumped out of the back women, women, jumped out of the back window and taken off. I mean, we, we understand this is what Paul, what he's going through. He says, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent for I am with you. Does that sound familiar? Matthew 28. I will be here with you. Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And verse 10, it says, For I'm with you and no one will attack you or to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And what did he do? And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among the people. Here we go. This is... Verse 10, for I have many in the city that are my people. One of the words, like when I was praying for the two years before we landed on Leland to move here and plant this church, and I still believe in, as long as we exist as a church in the city, there will be those in the city that are his children that don't know it yet. There are people in this city that don't know that they are sons and daughters of the king and it is our job to help them see who God is to them help them come to that place of going this is what i need this becomes our job because there's many in this city that are my people here's the pressure we can and i i love you guys like honestly it it to an extent, it makes me sad, this sounds horrible, to get more of you guys. Let me be honest. Because right now, and don't test me on this, please, I know most of you. I know most of your names. Probably 90% of them. Please don't test me on that. Don't, don't be that person at the end of service. What's my name? Please. Please. 
pretty good. And, but I know you guys, and, and some of you are sitting here in your chairs right now, and you're like, man, I like this because I, I know this group, I, and it feels good. And, and I don't want to change that. I'm not in the business. My goal has never been to be a thousand people. I don't want to make a church. Like, there's something I believe that happens when we have community. So we're, we're going to try our darndest to make sure that as we grow, that we maintain this feel. But here, here's, here's what compels us. Here's what compels me. Here's what should be compelling you. There are those out there that today, if, they were to, if their life were to end for whatever reason, would not have the hope of eternity that we have. And that should burden us. Our, our life should be thinking about those that aren't in this room, not like, oh, I love you guys, and, and that's great. And, and my, my hope is that every single person in this room proclaim the name of Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and, and you're secure in that. And if you're not, that's great. You can hang out with us. Don't feel like, oh, I need to get out of here because I'm still not sure. That's fine. But I want us to get to a place that we look outside of here and go, there's people in the city that are just waiting for that moment, waiting for that moment to meet you in a restaurant, to meet you in Walmart, to meet you at the park. And start a little conversation or see your t-shirt and ask you like, well, what is, what is reach? And giving you an opportunity to be part of their journey. Because even if you're terrified of like, I don't know all the right words. I don't either. There's questions I've been asked and I'm like, I've been doing this a long time and I don't know what to say to you. And that's okay. It's okay to say like, let me get back to you. Like, don't make up stuff. The worst thing that you can do is on the if you don't know, just say you don't know. Like Jesus ain't gonna be like, mmm, this one on your permanent record. Like I told you last week, remember in the sermon he quoted that one verse. If you just remembered it, you would know. Just say I don't know. But hey, let's meet next week, have coffee, and by next week I'll have an explanation or at least something that we can read together. Cause what if you I'm telling you, I want what I had last week for every one of you guys. I want 10 years, 20 years from you, from right now, you look and go, man, I was there that day. They're the reason why they came to church. I mean, 10 to 20 years. Look, I'm telling you, one of the biggest, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, one of the biggest needs that we have and will always have as our church exists is kids ministry. And I know some of you are like, I'll do anything else. Like, I will give a kidney. Is someone dying? At the, just, I will give a kidney. I've already got two. I only need one. But let me just tell you, what if 10 years from now, 10 years from now, your investment there, I'm telling you, because I was sitting, I, was, I spent the last week with five other pastors, and one of them was the youth pastor before me, and he was jokingly saying, I don't know what my legacy is. He was only youth pastor there for a couple of years. He was like, you know, Heath, you have lots of kids that you know, are either in ministry or there, and I feel like when people tell me that, I'm like, it wasn't me, really. I don't, like, I'm not that person that's like, yes, I am. Just hang around me. Your life will be better. I'm not that guy, really. I honestly look at it like I'm not sure how it happened, but I'll, if they give me credit, the person, I'll take a little bit of it. But imagine your investment. Because if you look at this, not like, hey, I'm going in the back to serve my time. But what if you look at it like, look, 
the percentage of people saying yes to Jesus, the, the younger they are, the higher the percentage is that they'll say yes to Jesus. The more difficult we have as those that have been in this life living it the way they've been living it. But we have an opportunity to teach the gospel, which they're hearing the gospel. And look at the, look at the dual benefit. So not only is there parents, their, their children hearing the gospel, but the parents get to come in here. You know what I'm saying? Get to deposit your children in the back for just a little bit. And you get to come in here for maybe 45 minutes. And here. I mean, imagine you're back there loving on kids and, and, and the parents get to be in here. And imagine that Sunday, the Holy Spirit does his final work, not final like it's finished, but the final work of, of bringing that mom or dad to Jesus. And, and that be your credit. It's not like you'll ever know. You may not ever know that your investment back there, but that's why we do it. That's why we serve and invest. This isn't just an opportunity for you to do something or for you to miss a service. This is an opportunity for someone else. So let me go back to the question I started at the beginning. Do you understand the grace of God in redeeming? Get in my role. See, you can kind of sit there and be like, eh, I'm just like one of the lowly people, which you're not. It doesn't really matter. Get in my role, and you realize how good God is. Because I'm, I don't know about you, but I'm fully aware of how imperfect I am. And part of this is because I'm married. <laughs> I think I'm a pretty good person outside. Just get married. You realize you're not that great. You know, then you have children. You realize you're even worse. <laughs> but like, my uh, Joe, who I was talking about earlier, he has a three-year-old and a, a nine-month-old. And like his three-year-old, strong-willed child. Um, like it was just precious. Like because he's like, oh, you know, Joby's his son's name. And he's like, Joby, don't, you know. Like, and he's like. <laughs> He took something and just took off running. <laughs> and I'm like, look, we realize that we're not perfect. You have children. You have a wife. You understand that you need Jesus. Start pursuing God wholeheartedly and you will understand even more so how much you need Jesus every day. God, if you don't respond, I don't know what I'm going to do. It is never hard to tell people about good news. And I know good news, you're thinking, oh, the gospel, it's not hard to tell people. Look, if something really good happens to you, if you had something really exciting happen to you over the, next, the last week and you came in here and you haven't seen people for a week, you know, if you get a new puppy, you're, like, you're showing pictures of your puppy. If you have a child, which our, our worship leader any day now is going to be having a baby. We can pray that everything goes smoothly. Have a little girl. Yeah, huh? Come out already. Yeah, in Jesus' name. But not right now because Deacon's still here and he needs to be at home. And you, can you imagine, like, in, in a couple of days, like, social media, and they're going to be texting people because it's exciting to be like, look at this. 
I have a little girl. Imagine if you get engaged. You know, like you don't have to tell people to post engagement pictures. Do you? <laughs> Just walk around like, hey, did you? What, what's wrong with your hand? No, what are you talking about? I don't know. When good things happen to us, we normally, naturally declare it. And that's all I'm asking. Is that when you understand the good things that's happened to you, the redemption that's happened to you, it's very easy to declare to those around you that even though I am not perfect, God knew me called me into his kingdom, did what was necessary through his son for me to stand before him today, justified. And so if we can say those things, the even better news is Jesus. God uses normal, non-professional, non-ordained people to do the ministry. And I just want to commission you. Like, I want you to understand that regardless of your flaws, God is trying to use those flaws and the the reworking of those flaws to his benefit and for the benefit of others. And so I'm, I'm commissioning you to do something. And I said this first Sunday, look, if you're like, ah, I don't know what to do here, do something for God. There are ministries all over this that work with homeless, um, Mana Ministries, which is the what Sunday of every month? Fourth Sunday, fourth Saturday of every month, here behind Closer Walk. They, they, they feed, they give food supplies to 100 plus families. You, there's so many things that you can do to volunteer, to see and be the hands and feet of Jesus. And that's what we're asking you. So I'm going to invite our worship team back up. And I just want to challenge you, like I said this at the beginning, you may be sitting here and you may be saying to yourself, like, yes, Heath, I feel the pressure of wanting to do the right thing, but I need Jesus. You, You cannot go do the right thing without Jesus. You cannot do the right thing without surrendering and understanding the grace of God. And if so if you're here this morning and you've never surrendered to Jesus during this last song, the reason why we have a song at the end of our service is not to keep you here a little bit longer. The reason why we do a song at the end of our service is because the Holy Spirit needs time to work. You need time to respond. Because I know, because I've been in this position of hearing something and I feel the Holy Spirit going, yep, yep, right there. And it's easy when you start to hear that feeling to service is in. I'm getting in my car. I'm going to lunch and then I'm going to do whatever I do the rest of the day. And then tomorrow I will forget all about it. So if you're here today and you have not surrendered and you want to this this moment is the best moment for you. And there's going to be people up front for prayer. If you're like, "I, I just need I just need prayer. I just need a help to get to that place. And for everyone else in the room, we need you. We need you so that we can be what our community needs. We, we need you. And so as you end service, this is about as much guilt as I can give you. Uh, there's a sign-up sheet. will be for the next four weeks. So you can think it over this week and next week. But September 15th, we're going to two services whether we like it or not, because we believe that God has many in this city that are his. 
And we're going to give them as much opportunity and options that we can to walk in these doors. But we need you for them. Let's pray. Dear me, Father, it is by your grace and mercy that right now as we sit here or stand here in this room that we have breath in our lungs. And Lord, I just proclaim that if we have breath in our lungs, you have purpose in us, that you have destiny for us. And Lord, I just pray that we would no longer pilot our own way, that we would no longer seek our own destiny, that we would no longer hope to fulfill ourselves in ourself, but we would surrender ourselves to you, Lord, that we would want to please this creator that loved us so much that he sent his son for us, that he showed his love for us for eternity. Lord, that this morning that we would acknowledge the grace that you have laid on our life. And if there is anyone in this room that is that is there, that is like, Lord, I need you. I need that. Lord, I pray that that even more so than than this moment, even more so than this prayer, that you would in them do what is necessary for that surrender to take place. And Lord, I just ask that you would encourage them, that you would build community around them to help grow them into the men and women that you have planned and desired. And as we worship you, as we pray, as we sit here and reflect on the calling of God and in our position in it, Lord, I pray that you would give us boldness. Lord, I pray that we would hear whispered in our ears the words that Paul did to continue speaking the gospel. Be bold. Lord, that we would hear you say, I am with you. And Lord, I pray that you would give us vision for those that aren't here. And so Lord, we thank you uh, for your grace and your mercy and your love for us. Lord, we surrender to that call for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.